that people, the sovereignty of the country, the National Review Weekly Standards, neoliberal neocons, are kind of a, a donut. Becky called the donut. Trista, let's move on. The Putin files, David Hoffman, Space, from Jesus to, to Christ, the first Christians. John Brennan, hmm. The Putin files, front line. Something a lot of people have told us. We'll also go even further. John Brennan's a famous. But just to get our kind of. Uh, like, um. Uh, go through the gears one time. Uh, let's talk a little bit about Ukraine. Statesman? And, uh, and his. Uh, a lot of people say this was a road test for Putin. There were lots of other reasons why he was. the hybrid war uh, uh, scheme. What did you see was happening there uh, from your perspective? Well, I think it really reflected Mr. Putin's interest in trying to correct the historical wrong in his mind as far as uh, Russia giving up. Um, a part of, of the, what Putin considered the motherland that he wanted to reclaim mm -hmm. the Russian Orthodox Church uh, he never felt as though uh, Ukraine and Crimea uh, should have left the, uh, the Russian, even earlier, the Soviet orbit. And so, therefore, I think uh, Mr. Putin wanted to uh, to stop also what he thought was a an eastern march on the part of the, uh, the Western NATO-EU. Uh, so, therefore, I think he, he felt as though he, he needed to act. Because he tends to see things in zero-sum fashion, uh, and therefore, um, I also believe he he felt that he could do this with relative impunity in terms of not having a military response from the West or the United States, and uh, therefore the move was uh, was quick. Uh, but also, I think it reflected a broader strategic interest on in the part of Mr. Putin to secure his near abroad, as it said. Um, and do it in a way that I think he felt confident was not going to uh, beget a, uh, again, a Western military reaction. When you look back on it from our vantage point now, watching and thinking about what happened in the summer of 2016 in the fall, there are also all kinds of just tactical things he does, they do, that uh, resonate a lot of fake news, a lot of information war, a lot of lying about things that happened. From your perch at the CIA, uh, what were you what were you watching and what were you learning or what felt new or, you know what I mean? Well, Mr. Putin is a, a creature of his, his past and of his intelligence experience. And uh, I do believe that uh, he, he sees... Uh, and at that time saw the Russian intelligence services as being a tremendous instrument of influence so that he could do things insidiously within countries such as Ukraine, Georgia, even inside of uh, Europe, uh, that he could uh, try to exploit situations that was going to advantage uh, Russia. So when we were getting closer to the 2016 presidential election, I think some of the things that we were seeing early on were just uh, uh, symptoms and indicators of, the, of Russia's interest in trying to manipulate uh, foreign events to Russia's advantage. And therefore, uh, any type of 
of a political process or election, I think Mr. Putin sees as ripe for Russian intelligence service uh, engagement. And also there's a fair amount of, I think, competition among Russian intelligence services. They try to please the boss and uh, they, they do things uh, both in terms of collecting information as well as their active measures, whether it be propaganda or even getting people to get on the Russian payroll. So uh, I think uh, certainly CIA and intelligence professionals had a good understanding about Mr. Putin's um, overarching strategic objectives, uh, what he was trying to accomplish, and uh, therefore I think we had our antenna up um, looking for signs that uh, Mr. Putin was uh, pursuing these objectives whether it be in the near abroad, whether it be in Western Europe, or whether it be here in the United States. So in things like uh, sending in uh, uniformed soldiers with n no insignias on the uniforms, uh, what did you make of that? Well, in, in some respects, uh, he does things um, surreptitiously uh, with his intelligence services, but also I think he uh, likes to try to intimidate uh, his foes. And so uh, it was no secret to people that uh, individuals with military uniforms with no insignias who happened to show up in the eastern part of Ukraine uh, fighting against the, uh, the government forces, there was uh, no doubt in anyone's mind where they came from and that they were sent there by Mr. Putin. I think it was Mr. Putin's way to, uh, again, try to uh, bully others and, and to show that Russia is uh, is there and is going to use its influence as well as its capabilities and its power to achieve its objectives. There were many arguments inside the United States government about uh, lethal uh, arming the Ukrainian forces. What did you believe? Uh, maybe you can't say what you advised the president, but the idea that we should, we should push back at him. We should in some way let him know he's not going to get away with this more robustly than we did. Mr. Putin is, I think, a very cunning individual, and he really takes the measure of his adversaries and opponents. And when he moved into Ukraine, uh, I do believe he felt as though if he, if he did it with um, uh, great uh, emphasis and, and, and force, uh, that it was not going to engender a military response on the part of the West. And I do think he felt that, uh, certainly toward the, the last four years of the Obama administration, that there was a predictability as far as Washington's reaction. Um, and uh, I think he recognized that uh, President Obama was uh, reluctant to, to engage in military conflicts um, and therefore would use other instruments of U.S. power sanctions, uh, for example. But I do think Mr. Putin's decisions to move into Ukraine, his decision to move into Syria with uh, military forces, was based on the premise that there was not going to be a uh, symmetric uh, Western military response. Um, I, I felt as though, in some instances, we should have made... Uh, our reactions less predictable to Mr. Putin. I felt as though there are things that we could have done that wouldn't have got us into a proxy war. I remember being on the schoolyards of New Jersey when I grew up and, you know, bullies and tried to intimidate and they keep moving forward unless they get their, their nose bloodied a little bit. And I felt as though Mr. Putin 
really needed to get his nose bloodied. Um, and I think it would have caused him to back off because, like most bullies, he knows that he can't stand up uh, to others. It's a lot of uh, bluster. And uh, his willingness to use that type of intimidating uh, tactics, I think, could have been slowed, if not reversed, if he uh, in encountered pushback. So, uh, does he feel in any way, is the ergo attached to that, uh, uh, a kind of a boldness to begin to probe our election process, to step forward in even a more robust way in 2015, in the initial sort of probes that uh, Mr. Clapper talked about back in 15, and the summer of uh, 2016, which you know and live through vividly. Well, there is truth uh, to the narrative that Mr. Putin has, and the Russians, and uh, even the Soviets before them, tried to engage in uh, interference in elections for many, many years, uh, in the European theater in particular, but also here in the United States. However, over time, there are uh, new means and new techniques and new technologies that make uh, engagement in uh, the election process uh, more available, I guess, uh, to uh, manipulation by Russian intelligence services. And with the emergence of the digital domain and the cyber sphere and the ability to hack into uh, email servers, uh, I think there are just new uh, attack vectors and avenues for the Russian intelligence services to take advantage of. And I do think that uh, they had the direction to collect as much as they could, uh, as they usually do about uh, political processes. But also uh, there was a decision made on the part of the Russians and Mr. Putin in particular to authorize the, uh, the leveraging of that uh, intelligence that was collected, information that was collected. You said they've been in our election process all the way back into the Soviet Union uh, times, but things because of technology and other uh, things have improved and enhanced their process. So the U.S. intelligence community and CIA were quite mindful of uh, our responsibilities to monitor and to uh, assess uh, Russian activities uh, that were trying to undermine U.S. national security, uh, especially in a presidential election year. And so uh, we, CIA, worked very closely with FBI and NSA and uh, Director of National Intelligence to make sure that we had our uh, radar uh, tuned uh, and that we were going to be very vigilant for any type of Russian interference. And uh, so we have a lot of experience and expertise at CIA and at the other agencies in terms of Russian tactics and techniques. And so we have some of the world's greatest experts. Um, uh, and so we were, I think, well prepared to, uh, to pick up uh, signs. Uh, and uh, so as 2015 and 2016 rolled on, uh, we did have uh, clear indications that uh, the Russians were going to try to uh, maybe reprise in a much more intense and pervasive manner uh, some of their earlier efforts to interfere in elections. When, when Mr. Klepper is talking at Aspen in 2015, he's clearly concerned. He's raising alarm bells uh, because he anticipated something even even worse than ever before, or uh, the sort of generalized call to arms in 2015? 
Well, I think we saw a, a pattern over the last uh, several years, certainly in the second half of the Obama administration, when relations between Washington and Moscow were, were declining as a result of a number of factors. Uh, the effort to reset the relationship between Russia and the United States had faltered. Um, we had the Russian SVR illegals uh, that were rounded up here in the United States, uh, and it was a, a clear indication that the Russians were continuing on their usual course of trying to uh, undermine U.S. national security. And then we saw what Russia did in Ukraine, uh, and there was an aggressiveness, I think, across the board. Uh, and we saw things happening in Europe in elections there in the 2012, 2013, 2014 time period. And so there was, a, in some respects, a building crescendo, I guess, as we were entering the presidential election campaign season of uh, Russian aggressiveness. And so therefore, I think we were uh, very uh, concerned that we might be seeing uh, Russian efforts to undermine the integrity uh, credibility of the U.S. Uh, presidential election in 2016. But people tell us that... Um uh, people in the government, high up in the Obama administration, say uh, that th th they they expected espionage, but that was a sort of standard operating procedure game that's played by us and by them and by everybody in the world around elections. But that the fear was the weaponization of that information, uh, the way that it had been used in Ukraine and even in Estonia, that they had a new toy to play with and that that was releasing that information and that they'd seen a little bit of it around the Toria Newland wiretapped phone call when they they released it and, and, and made political points out of something like that. That is that. Do I have that about right? Yeah, well, the Russians and the Soviets before them were very uh, proficient, let me put it that way, in the use of active measures on the propaganda front. For many, many years, they would try to put into the Western media circles uh, stories that uh, advanced Russian interests uh, and tried to uh, harm U.S. and Western interests. The, the real distinction over the last several years, again, is this digital environment where now you have uh, so many uh, new opportunities to apply your intelligence uh, wares. First of all, social media uh, has given intelligence services, uh, especially the Russians, a lot of opportunity to put things out into that so social media environment, uh, information that purports to be real, uh, but is part of their active measures influence propaganda effort. At the same time, uh, Russian espionage activities in terms of collecting intelligence that would be used in the past to inform Russian active measures now in and of itself can become a weapon, be weaponized, so that you can take emails and information that you collect uh, from that digital environment, uh, from servers and networks and email servers, and put it out in an effort to try to embarrass uh, your, your targets. And so what the, the Russian services uh, did and what they are very capable of doing now is reaching into that uh, cybersphere, uh, uh, collecting a lot of information, uh, as we saw from the, the Democratic National Committee, uh, DCCC, uh, and then taking uh, and judicious and selective use of, of information and emails to be able to put out as a way to, uh, again, advance their interests by embarrassing uh, individuals that they see as uh, as their targets. 
Before we go much further, let's go backwards just one more time for a little backstory. Um, uh, let, let, let's go to, to uh, 2011-2012, the protests in Moscow, the way that social the way the story goes, social media invigorated people who'd otherwise not not would not have come out would not have come out nearly the numbers that they came out at those times in in with a sort of angry response to Putin saying Medvedev is gone I'm going to take I'm going to take it again uh, and lots of other reasons people using cell phones to verify it and then run it on the web and people hitting the streets uh, confirming I suppose because it happens at the same time that Arab Spring is happening uh, uh, Putin's uh, paranoia or his view that America, the hand of America is all over uh, all of this. And he doesn't apparently, according to people we talked to over there, he's not at the time very conversant with what is the web and how is the West using the web and is shocked and amazed at everything from Hillary Clinton's statements being uh, broadcast all over the internet to everything else that's happening to him and he has to ascribe it or, to something he describes it to us and our use of social media. Help me understand the, uh, your perspective on that. Well, I think Mr. Putin has uh, an affliction like, uh, unfortunately, many world leaders have, which is a innate sense of insecurity as well as paranoia. And I think Mr. Putin looked at uh, developments around the world as well as inside of Russia as uh, being uh, uh, carried out in many respects by Western intelligence services. Uh, over the years, I was uh, quite frankly shocked when I would see so many things ascribed to CIA that CIA had no engagement in whatsoever. And I think Mr. Putin would look at developments, particularly inside of, of Moscow, if there was uh, opposition activity or if there were protests or any type of uh, actions that were um, counter to what he wanted, uh, he saw CIA's hand behind it and saw the U.S.'s hand behind it. And so therefore I think he uh, had this uh, innate sense of almost persecution. Uh, and also I think he felt as though not only he was being persecuted but the Russian people were. And he felt as though he had to stand up for them. Uh, but uh, I must tell you that uh, uh, a lot of things that uh, Mr. Putin thought were a direct uh, res result of, of CIA efforts um, absolutely were not. It's an interesting thing. Here's a guy who's a KGB officer. We're now back in 1987, 88, who's a counterintelligence guy, right? He's, a, he's supposed to be paranoid. He's supposed to anticipate bad things uh, coming his direction. Talk to me a little bit about Putin, from what you know, from Putin, the uh, profile Putin, the KGB officer in Dresden in, at the turn of, uh, at the end of the Soviet Union. Yeah, I think Mr. Putin was always a, a hardworking, diligent uh, intelligence officer. But he, he um, joined Russian intelligence, I think, during their waning days, in the latter years of the Cold War, when they really felt uh, aggrieved and the much lesser uh, power uh, than the United States. So I think they just reinforced some of his feelings of insecurity. And uh, I think that carried over uh, to him when he then entered uh, public office in, in Russia. Uh, so I really f feel as though he looked upon the United States as being this enormous power that, uh, in his mind, I think, uh, unfairly used its power 
to subjugate uh, the Soviet Union and Russian people. So I, I do think Mr. Putin had a, a real sense of this second-class status that was a bit of a chip on his shoulder that he always had to prove himself. You know, partly it was also the way he was uh, uh, brought up in, in the, the, the period of time and uh, again felt as though he was um, being targeted by, by others. Uh, and I think he always felt uh, uh, an urge to fight back. And uh, so therefore, when he uh, rose up the ladder of the Russian political system, um, he, he was doing it as a sense of competition. Uh, he was doing it in a sense that he was trying to, I think, gain favor uh, at the expense of others. Uh, again, I think it just reflects his, uh, his, the prism that he looked at uh, the world with, but also he looked at his country with. Uh, again, I think he, in many respects, he's a loner. Um, he uh, looks out to, uh, for himself, but recognizes that he some frequently is dependent on other support in order to continue to uh, to pursue his uh, his goals and objectives. He must be an amazing actor in some ways uh, to go from Dresden to St. Petersburg, sign up with a Democrat. Be uh, rise up in the ranks and then find himself six years later the head of the newly created FSB and soon prime minister and then president. Well, I think he has this um, very strong survival instinct. And so uh, when the Soviet Union was collapsing, I think he was looking for how is he going to survive uh, this uh, traumatic experience. And uh, also then when you had Mr. Yeltsin uh, emerge as the, as the president, I think Mr. Putin's effort was to try to ensure that he was going to be able to uh, flourish uh, professionally during that time. So I think he had, you know, some chameleon qualities that he could adapt to the realities around him. But I think he was always driven by a sense that he wanted to be at the top of the heap. And uh, so in that respect, I think, again, he is a cunning individual from the standpoint of being able to navigate uh, some of the, the political shoals uh, inside of Russia, but also uh, I think he's, a, in some respects, he's a very astute observer of the international environment, and that's why I think he takes the measure of his uh, opponents and adversaries and counterparts around the world, and he tries to find their, their weaknesses or their soft spots and takes full advantage of it. And so I think um, he has been able to get the better of, uh, of a number of individuals. When he was appointed president, you were at the agency. Uh, uh, what was the consensus about him? Was there a consensus about what was going to happen? Was he going to be a soft authoritarian? Was he going to be a continuation of the democratic principles that uh, uh, Yeltsin was trying to uh, uh, bring? Well, it certainly was a break from the Yeltsin years, and especially in the latter Yeltsin years when people were really concerned that uh, this individual, uh, President Yeltsin, was was in a state of, of decline in terms of physical health as well as mental health. Um, and so Putin arrived with the reputation of being a, a serious person with an intelligence background, uh, somebody that the CIA certainly was looking at very, very closely. Uh, but he, in some respects, uh, from my perspective, and I wasn't following Russia in depth at the time, a bit of an enigma uh, because I don't think we knew enough about him and uh, what his ultimate aspirations and worldview were. Um, I think that emerged over time. But uh, I think people saw him as somebody who was going to uh, become immersed in, in his position 
but still, Russia was climbing out of the the Soviet era still, and there was a still there was a fair amount of jockeying among a number of uh, Russian uh, political luminaries, and so we didn't know whether or not. Mr. Putin was going to be a, a passing phase, um, or if he was going to be an enduring uh, individual from the standpoint of uh, you know, Russia's political future. He gives an amazing speech in 2007 in Munich, where he essentially declares war on the world in some uh, a way, a, 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 a hell of a, a far piece from where he was when he uh, first took over in 1999. Yeah, I think what we saw was an increasing assertiveness on the part of Mr. Putin. Uh, and I think it was smart of him to to start out rather, you know, slowly. And I think he cut his political teeth when he was the, uh, the vice mayor of St. Petersburg. Um, and I think he was, uh, again, a, a pretty good student, uh, a good intelligence officer from the standpoint of collecting intelligence, taking book on people, and finding out where the seams might be, where the opportunities might be. Uh, and so therefore, by the time he had uh, you know, several years under his belt and then came back into the presidency, I think he had much greater self-confidence and a much greater sense of what he not just wanted to do, but what he needed to do in his mind in order to solidify his political base in Russia. I think when he uh, became uh, president uh, for a second time, I think it was at that point that he decided he was going to be president for life, and he was not going to give up power, and he was going to amass power, uh, not just on the, on the political scene in Moscow, but also uh, on the, the world stage. Because I do think he, he understands that time is not on Russia's side. When you look at the demographics, you look at the lack of diversity in the economy, you look at the brain drain, the, the loss of entrepreneurial and, and technical talent, I think he sees that he needs to seize the moment um, and try to be as assertive as possible uh, because um, over time, Russia's influence, I think he sees, uh, would wane. Uh, because if you look at the Russian prospectus, and I think he, he did look at it, uh, he saw that he needed to uh, do things maybe sooner rather than later, uh, protect his flanks that he thought were under assault uh, by encroachment from the, the West, uh, but also demonstrate to others and potential client states that Russia was a force that was going to reassert itself on the... 1491... Great new documentary on the history of indigenous peoples in America before colonizer came, exclamation point. The world stage, uh, because I think he does view the super um, <clears throat> competition between the United States and Russia in zero-sum fashion. And therefore, when he sees that the United States is weakened or diminished in any way, on the domestic political front in Washington, it only redounds to Russia's interests. And uh, that's where I think Mr. Putin really tries to, again, bloody the uh, United States nose because he feels as though one, if that happens, uh, it just uh, accrues to his benefit. One of the things we watch develop in this film is his creation of cyber and other weapons so that he can uh, fight above his weight in a kind of asymmetric way. We see the first instance of this in Estonia when they uh, 
shut the place down. What did you make of what they were doing in Estonia? What is the meaning of of that to you? Well, I I think uh, intelligence services, including the Russians, uh, recognize that modern day warfare uh, and modern day um, political influence um, has a lot more avenues of uh, pursuit than it did in the last century. Uh, again, because there are ways to uh, manipulate the, the cyber realm and to either send signals or to actually disable or cripple others. And so in places like Estonia, in places like Georgia, um, as well as in Ukraine, I think uh, Mr. Putin and his services recognize that they can do things without having to assert, at least in a physical way, Russia's military capabilities. You can do things that uh, are more insidious, uh, maybe a bit more subtle, but yet as as impactful, because you can do things uh, in the cyber realm that is going to bring down infrastructure, bring down capabilities of other countries. So I think, again, as part of the bullying tactics and intimidation, uh, it's a way to uh, send a full broadside uh, against either adversaries or potential adversaries or ones who might be getting out of line a bit. And so when Mr. Putin looks at the, the Baltic states, he recognizes that uh, a number of things. One is that uh, he feels a certain obligation to some of the Russian-speaking peoples that are there. He also is very concerned that uh, these states that uh, were once under the, the yoke of, of, of the Soviets um, should not venture too far uh, to the West. So I, I do think uh, Mr. Putin is willing to pull some levers. Um, and it's it's obvious and known to everybody that Russia is pulling the levers. But he's able to, again, send the message that he wants. Um, but he also, I think, has a good sense of brinksmanship as far as what he... Buried secrets, indigenous civilizations, exclamation point, great new documentary, exclamation point, hashtag 1491. without uh, a response against him that uh, he would uh, prefer to avoid. And, and just purely from a mechanical perspective, uh, your observation on, is, is he, in a place like Estonia, in a place like Ukraine, is he pushing the go button? Are these, is he like a, the head of a movie studio and he's got a lot of independent producers who do things? You mentioned earlier that they want to appeal to him by doing... Uh, great things that he acknowledges and, and really appreciates. So in in places like uh, Ukraine, in in the the hacking in, in, in that they used, even in Georgia and Ukraine, but also Estonia, is it individuals and kind of that he calls them patriotic hackers, or is it or is it uh, uh, the GRU generals go or the FSB general says go? I think Mr. Putin has has given his intelligence services a fair amount of of authority to move forward and implement some of his policy objectives. That said, I am also confident that any Russian action that has potential strategic consequence, such as taking down uh, cyber systems, digital systems, um, infrastructure in other countries, whether it be in Estonia, Georgia. Ukraine areas, 
that's something that he would have given his personal um, authorization for. I don't think uh, Russian intelligence chiefs want to go beyond uh, their ski tips as far as what it is that uh, they are doing that could um, escalate and spiral. Uh, so I do think things such as that uh, or to engage in an election that could have some real significant repercussions. Uh, I am pretty, I am confident, very confident that they would have run those things by Mr. Putin. The actual detail. Excellent. Hashtag Tim Alberta exclamation point PBS frontline news hour. Would be implemented as something that I think Mr. Putin would leave to his intelligence chiefs. Uh, but the, the, the go signal, the green light, uh, would have come from Mr. Putin. So when Cozy Bear jumps inside the State Department in 15 in the White House and other places, you're alerted, you're alerted to this and, and you assume it's Putin saying, let's go over there and, and uh, see what we can clean out of the closet? Well, I think there's a, again, a real distinction between what intelligence services collect and then what they actually uh, do with that collection. I don't think the intelligence services need to get Mr. Putin's authorization to collect against their principal targets, whether it be against the intelligence community of the United States or State Department or even the White House. That intelligence collection is just part of the, uh, the MO of intelligence services. But to take information that is collected, maybe against those targets, and then to release it, I guess it depends on the specificity as well as on the, the potential uh, backlash. Um, so uh, I think some of these things are sui generis uh, from the standpoint of um, depending on what it is that they're doing, um, they will go up and seek Mr. Putin's approval. But the, the mere collection of intelligence is something that I think the GRU and SVR and FSB do on a regular basis. Uh, taking some of the information and seeding it into maybe some of their propaganda, I think that also is part of the, the Russian MO. But to do something that is going to be uh, potentially explosive uh, as well as uh, disruptive, um, I, I do think that uh, those intelligence chiefs in Russia, the ones that have been able to survive over the course of many years, they know, I think, the limits of uh, their their prerogatives uh, and their authorizations, and that's where they go to Mr. Putin and say, uh, we plan to do this uh, or this uh, to make sure you get his head nod. So in 2016, when you first get an inclination that, that the thing that is going to occupy all of our minds last summer, the, the, the first I can find in the press of you really talking about it is, late June, early July, but you must have known much earlier that Cozy Bear and Fancy Bear and other things were happening with uh, the DNC. Were you aware of things earlier then, or tell me when you were aware of, of uh, what was happening and that it was kind of different of some kind, in some kind? CIA always has its counterintelligence radar up uh, for Soviet efforts to harm our national security. And uh, there are things that we see uh, that give us indications about uh, going down a particular path or trying to exploit a certain opportunity. Uh, 
and uh, it's our responsibility and obligation to make sure that we keep our uh, senior officials in the White House informed, uh, that we keep our FBI brethren informed. And so through the course of 2015 and 2016, CIA was fulfilling its responsibilities to monitor, to collect, and to inform. And uh, I am loath to give any particular time frame or dates uh, or reasons uh, because uh, that's part of the intelligence business. And we look at uh, the situation, we, we identify certain bits and pieces of data, and we, we correlate them. Um, it's like people who, I think, uh, observe the weather, you see certain barometric conditions. Barzinski that are starting to form and you say you know this seems as though it's ripe for uh, a tornado to develop and so what you try to do is to track it and to see whether or not those early indicators are this should be required viewing exclamation point new documentary on how dr brzezinski's cancer cure was squashed by the FDA in the 90s. Indicators of a rising storm. We start to hear about it in late June, early July of 2016. What, what made it suddenly come on our uh, radar screens? Well, the squashed. Summer of 2016, there was a, a fair amount of press attention to uh, various efforts on the part of hackers uh, to get into uh, the systems. Uh, obviously, the media spotlight was, was quite uh, heavy on the presidential election and the campaign season and the, uh, the contenders for the for presidency. So uh, there was just a lot that was in the air, and there was a lot of interest on the part of uh, folks downtown uh, to see what the Russians might be up to. So uh, again, we were we were looking very carefully. We had our our sensors out. We had our our ears attuned and eyes uh, directed on the places that we thought the Russians might be working on. Uh, and so things started to emerge. Uh, and as good intelligence officers, we were looking for indicators that might come through many different collection systems, whether they be uh, CIA, NSA, FBI. But also, we were putting many, many years of expertise, uh, overlaying that over those indicators. Uh, also, uh, touching base with uh, our foreign counterparts, uh, some of those European services that had up close and direct experience with some of the Russian activities. Uh, so this is all was part of the effort to uh, discern exactly what Russia was doing. There must have been a moment where you said this is kind in some way, and I know... And, and your alarm bells as an experienced person were ringing pretty loudly that a tornado was on the horizon. Uh, when was that? It was in the summer of 2016. And uh, I don't want to be more specific than that uh, because I, I do want to be, again, mindful of the need to continue to be able to track and monitor some of the things that the Russians are doing. But in the summer, it was quite clear to me that we were seeing a campaign on the part of the Russians, that this was not just sort of the, the usual stuff that we had seen before, that it was a much more aggressive, much more... Midas Touch, Eagle AF, exclamation point, live, colon, Jack Smith ready to take down Trump and MAGA terrorists.
Exclamation point. Uh, a much more uh, worrisome um, effort because the exploitation of the cyber environment gave us real concern that the Russians uh, could be up to things that uh, we hadn't seen before, and we didn't know what they were going to try to do. We had seen over the course of years what, what they had done in, in Europe to include you know, financial payments um, and, uh, again, intimidation efforts, even blackmail of uh, political uh, parties and, and political officials. Uh, so, in some respects, they, they stoop to whatever tactic they, they can. But uh, this storm was brewing in the summer, which is why um, I decided that I was going to raise this issue with one of my principal counterparts, Mr. Alexander Bortnikov, on the 4th of August. So, before we get to Mr. Bortnikov's uh, the phone call, um, you're, having, you're, you're worried enough, from what I gather, that you want to hold this really closely. This is not something that's in the PDB in the, in the morning with the president. This is not something that you're spreading around for the month of July, at least. Just accidentally, like, shut that down. Okay, so, um, right, thanks for a billion subscribers and all the love, despite the fact that I am being geofenced and am in a captive portal. So, if you hear this, podcast it's a fucking miracle so share 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 and share a like share motherfuckers um <clears throat> yeah so i'm scheduling things i'm starting to use my own cartoons for the Profile shot. So, um, just so that noise is annoying. I know, but shit, I don't know what's causing it. Anyway, we're listening to the Putin files, John Bryan, Frontline PBS, and it's, uh, it's it's kind of tolerably it's two hours long. So I don't know if I'm gonna last for all that, but maybe, maybe not. Oh, hmm. In my intelligence career, I've been involved in many, many sensitive intelligence programs and activities. Uh, getting bin Laden was the most sensitive. It was held to a very few people. But uh, I must say that uh, counterintelligence cases are the ones that uh, the CIA and the FBI hold most tightly for a variety of reasons. One is that sometimes uh, it involves U.S. persons who have been recruited by the Russians, and you want to make sure that uh, you protect that information uh, for the privacy of individuals who may be suspected but not actually guilty. In addition, though, it's an ongoing case, and what you're trying to do is uncover what the Russians are involved in, and in order to do that, you have to make sure that you keep that information very tightly held, because any exposure, any leak, could be devastating in terms of shutting down a counterintelligence investigation because your leads will go dry. 
And so, therefore, um, when we saw that the Russians were actively and aggressively trying to interfere in our election, during the election period, um, we needed to make sure that we did everything possible to aggressively pursue that, to uncover and discover what they were doing, but at the same time, protected information. And so we um, briefed uh, a very small number of people at the highest levels of government, uh, in the executive branch, as well as in the Congress, to make sure that they were aware that CIA, along with our intelligence uh, partners, uh, were actively and aggressively uh, seeking to uh, uncover and then, as directed and as needed, to thwart these Russian efforts. In those early days, who knows, before before you send the, the sealed letter over to the White House in early August, as it's been reported, who's, how small? Legal AF, Jack Smith ready to take down Trump, and MAGA terrorists, exclamation point, bring your popcorn, everybody. Is the circle that you draw? Well, first of all, I... I met with my people at CIA who were um, uncovering this information. And I wanted to really understand what it is that we knew, what our gaps were, our confidence level. And so we had some very intense and long meetings at CIA headquarters about this. Once it was apparent to me that uh, we were encountering something that was unlike what we had seen before, I reached out to the uh, to the White House and wanted to have a meeting with the uh, the president, and so um, I uh, had a phone conversation with uh, one of my uh, close colleagues down at the White House, and I said I need to see the president. Um, and uh, I was able to get in and see the president uh, very quickly, and uh, walked him through it, and told him and the national security advisor, um, and about one or two other people from the White House what we were encountering, what we had to deal with, and how we were going to handle it. And uh, I talked through the, some of the mechanisms that we would keep them informed uh, in consultation with the president and uh, the others at the White House. We agreed that I needed to reach out immediately to the Gang of Eight uh, as the leadership in the Senate and the House of Representatives and to make sure that they were aware of this because we thought that uh, it was most important for our, our senior legislators to know what um, the Russians were up to, but also how we were going to handle it. What was the, when you, when you go in and see the president, do you, can you put a date on it for us, or do you want to keep that? It was in the summer, early summer. <laughs> it was certainly before really? I spoke, it was uh, certainly before <laughs> I spoke to Mr. Subordnikov. <laughs> yeah, so before that, of course. Absolutely. So sometime in July. So, um, how do you say it to the president, uh, Mr. Brennan, and, and how does he react? Well, I've, I've had some experience over the years in uh, briefing presidents and making sure that they understood exactly what it is that we know, how we know it. I wanted to not overbrief it um, and to make sure that the president understood the, the foundations of our understanding and also make sure the president understood how we would be able to collect further on this, what the limitations were, as well as the sensitivity of it. That's one of the things that I wanted to make sure that I underscored, the sensitivity 
of, of this type of information. What do you mean sensitivity? Well, um, again, in any counterintelligence investigation, there are uh, an array of collection capabilities that you try to leverage, and you try to protect those sources and methods. Yeah. And so I want to make sure that I was able to share uh, the substance of the information, but also want to make sure, sure they understood um, how it is that we acquire the information and, and why is it that we have the confidence in it. So you can be specific with the president. You can say, whatever it is, we have somebody in there. We have technology. We have. I was specific with the president. I was specific with the Gang of Eight in terms of how we knew it. And I want to make sure that I highlighted the sensitivity. Um, and uh, so the, the president, uh, the National Security Advisor, the Gang of Eight, and some of the other senior members of the National Security Council were fully aware of um, the information. The Ancient Ones, exclamation point, mind-blowing new documentary about ancient civilizations. Hashtag Sumeria. Hashtag Atlantis. Hashtag Anunnaki. Hashtag. No, not every bit in detail uh, I shared because there was no need to. They needed to have a good understanding and grasp of the, the foundations of this information. The, the president's reaction on in that initial conversation? Uh, the president um, in the summer of 2016 was already uh, well aware and I think um, appreciative of the intelligence community's capabilities and uh, also was well aware of Russian activities around the globe, uh, to including elections. So I think what you mean he... from the PDB or from the, the briefing? Yeah, over the years we've been sure. briefing him on what the Russians were doing in a lot of other elections and the Russian cyber capabilities or, or whatever. So it, it was it was not uh, shocking or surprising, but it was something that was, I think, worrying to all of us, uh, particularly since we didn't know uh, the extent of what it is that the Russians were engaged in, and we didn't know how far they would go to really uh, threaten uh, the integrity of the election. They hadn't yet done the wiki uh, dump. No, there were still things that uh, the Russians were um, ultimately did. Uh, that they the, haven't done yet right. when you had this conversation. Mm -hmm. the, the people have described him as a grave at that moment, having a kind of countenance of gravity. He was really, yes? The, the president was very concerned about um, what the Russians were doing. The president was very uh, focused on what it is we needed to do in order to uncover and to stop them from doing it. But the president also, I think, was, was rightly concerned about uh, doing something in the middle of uh, a presidential election season to thwart the Russians, but at the same time not um, assist the Russians uh, by... Uh, doing something that was going to raise even more questions about the, the credibility and integrity of the election. So the, the president was fixated on this. Uh, he told us to do everything we could uh, from a collection standpoint to make sure that we kept him informed, which we did. But also he was, I think, at that point then um, really thinking about what uh, course of action uh, he should he should take uh, in terms of 
public uh, statements, actions, as well as uh, private uh, actions. He was thinking about Trump found guilty tonight. Wanted to make sure that the public might be a little bit clickbait. Unfortunately, they make a whole lot of back from the deal. You better there in the house. I just feel like they're operating under this double standard that at some point, I do think it's going to be the members of Republican members who you see it now. You see them pushing back. You see them saying, you know, you're not speaking for. I think more of that will come you, you more you know how it works. But this is their moment. The I mean, this is, this is their big chance to make headlines, to put out tweets, to build their social... finally are convinced by your guys, it took a long time for them to convince you that this was happening, are you... Maggie Haberman of the New York Times talks about her new book, Hashtag Confidence Man! Exclamation point. Excellent lecture. Are you saying this is a this is a Putin operation? Direct line Putin operation. Is Putin your your guy almost the beginning and do you tell the president that? From the very beginning I made it clear to the president that it was certainly CIA's considered view that this was an activity uh, and a campaign that was uh, authorized by Mr. Putin. Did he want to pull Clapper and Comey in on this? Are they already part of this by then? Well, uh, after I met with my people, the agency, I made uh, a number of phone calls. Uh, I spoke to uh, the White House to get on the president's calendar. I also right away spoke to Jim Clapper. Uh, Jim was not available to come down to the White House with me at the time when I met with the president. But I wanted to make sure that Jim was fully apprised of what it was that we had come to understand and what I was going to brief the president about. Um, and right after I briefed the president, um, as I recall, I uh, spoke with uh, Jim Comey and let him know exactly what it is that uh, we needed to do together and uh, had a conversation shortly thereafter with Mike Rogers from NSA. And because the president recognized that for any type of counterintelligence uh, effort that needs to be undertaken by the U.S. government, the CIA, the FBI, and NSA are the three principal agencies that really need to take this and do everything possible to, uh, to understand it better. Did you guys know that Guccifer and Assange from WikiLeaks were waiting in the wings uh, right before the DNC dump, or, or was it a... Uh, or did that come as a surprise? Um, we were we were looking at what the Russians were doing. We were we were working through what options the Russians were considering in terms of taking advantage of some of their espionage exploits and their their cyber hacking activities. And we were looking at the various mechanisms and distribution systems uh, that they could take advantage of. And so, again, our experts and CIA and FBI and NSA's experts uh, identified the more likely culprits in this. Uh, so, again, we, we have a lot of expertise uh, that we were able to uh, take advantage of. And so when things started to show up and come out, uh, we were able to put together some bits and pieces of information and intelligence, as well as uh, look at it against the backdrop of things that had happened previously. The meaning of Wiki's 
uh, uh, release right before the Democratic National Convention to you. What what was the importance of that to you? Well, we were uh, following with great interest the, the timing of some of these activities um, in terms of when something would be released and did it happen on the eve of a certain uh, development or event such as the Democratic National Convention. And by looking at the timing and the action, one could then have a good sense of the motivation. And it also would help to validate uh, some of the things that we had come already to understand or to believe. Uh, so we were tracking that. I think that's a very important part of the intelligence business. You look at uh, actions, you look at developments, you look at statements, and you look at things along a, a, a timeline and then do some correlations because it frequently will give you a sense of, of motivation and uh, objectives. So by now the press is going basically crazy about this story and er and everybody is pushing. I, I would assume the Clinton administration or the Clinton campaign is also saying, oh my God, right, because they know. Was it, was it at this early stage, did you know the Russians favored Trump and and we're after uh, Mrs. Clinton. The intelligence community assessment that ultimately was published and released um, to the public uh, in early January, it had you know, three principal conclusions. One, to undermine the integrity uh, of the election, interfere in that electoral process. Two, to denigrate Hillary Clinton, either if she won, um, or to stop her, or to bloody her when she emerged as president. And then for Mr. Trump to be advantaged by these Russian efforts. And looking back, um, it was CIA's judgment, uh, I think the judgment of the uh, other agencies as well, early on, that um, it, the Russian strategy was designed to promote the prospects for Mr. Trump. So in the summer of 2016, it was our assessment uh, that the Russians were trying to enhance Mr. Trump's prospects for electoral victory. Even though it was our assessment uh, that the Russians didn't see him as the likely winner, but they had a, uh, a, a multi-pronged uh, campaign strategy. So yes, early on in 2016, uh, it was our view that the Russians were trying to improve Mr. Putin's prospects, which they thought were unlikely. You mean Mr. Trump's prospects? Mr. Trump's prospects. Uh, in 2016, they were trying to enhance Mr. Trump's prospects to emerge victorious in the election, even though they thought it was a bit of a long shot. And Mr. Trump's response must have been fascinating to you. Hey! Go find Hillary's, hey, Russia, if you're breaking, you know, go find, he greets it sort of frivolously almost, yeah? Uh, Mr. That's, Trump's uh, uh, comments about uh, Mr. Violence. Putin and Russia and Russian intelligence uh, have been baffling to me for quite some time. Uh, during the election campaign, when he encouraged the, the Russians to release emails to his favorable comments about uh, Mr. Putin, uh, these are things that uh, I still... I'm, I'm very, very uh, uh, um, puzzled uh, at. Puzzled? Come on, can't you uh, for the There's uh, the, the Post uh, uh, writes a story about a, a, a letter you send over in early August to the White House uh, for the uh, 
for, to the, for the eyes of four people, the president and three other people. Did such a letter actually uh, go to the White House? And what, what was it about if you've already had a conversation with the president and, and, uh, and others? On the, on the morning of the day that I briefed the president, uh, I sent over a very uh, short note, cryptic note, that um, was for the president, the national advisor, and a couple of other folks down there.